Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's very apparent that the bottom line is of utmost importance, which makes sense in business. And I realized that that's okay, because if we position sustainability on the environmental and social side in the right way, it will make organizations money. It will help with staff retention. It will help with happiness of employees and experiences of the customer. And it will attract the generation that has this as their core value system. Hello, and welcome to Our Impact. I'm your host, Jeremy Casebeer. This show explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can help scale positive outcomes and solutions. We'll be learning from people doing strong work across nonprofits, academia, business, and sport to connect the dots and find ways we can all take action. This show is as a result of my own searching. A few years ago, I measured my carbon footprint for the first time, and I realized how my travel as a professional beach volleyball player is actually at odds with the positive impact I'm striving to have. I wanted to act, but it wasn't clear where to begin. I've made a number of changes since then, but I'm still learning more every day. I hope you find these conversations useful and that the ideas we explore might help you take action in your own life and community. This episode is brought to you by Mir. The reason I partner with Mir is that they make beautiful products I enjoy using day to day and traveling, which helps them cut down on single use plastic. I can't tell you how nice it is to have their Thermo 3D vacuum insulated bottles keep my water ice cold the whole day when I'm at the beach training or competing. My favorites for the beach and travel are the 42 ounce wide mouth water bottle for hydration, the 20 ounce travel tumbler for coffee, and the food canister that I pack my son's school lunches in. Aside from making awesome drinkware, they've earned B Corp 1% for the planet and climate neutral certifications, so you know they're taking transparent action to have a positive social and environmental impact. And if that wasn't enough, every Mirror product sold helps fund nonprofit partners working at the intersection of communities and the environment. There's literally a giving code on every product, so you can look up Mir's impact made possible by your support. Go to mir.com and use Casebeer20 to receive 20% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Rise Brewing Co. Rise makes my favorite nitro cold brew coffee and provides energy for good people to do good things. If I'm at home, I start my day with Rise's original black nitro cold brew with their oat milk, or if I'm heading to the beach to train or surf, I'll take a mocha or vanilla latte with me. The best part is that Rise is 100% USDA certified organic. The oat milk Rise makes is tasty and impactful. Farming oats uses about six times less land than farming dairy and six times less water than farming almonds. I've been working to shift towards a plant-based diet, but I'm not perfect and it's definitely a process. Rise makes it easier for me because I can swap half and half for Rise's tasty plant-based oat milk and I'm supporting certified organic farmers all while enjoying delicious nitro coffee. Head to Rise Brewing Co. and use Jeremy's C15 for 15% off your order and free shipping. My guest today is Aubrey McCormick. Aubrey is the regional manager of the West at the Forest Stewardship Council. She's the CEO and co-founder of Black Sheep Design, building and designing sustainable homes. And she's also a former professional golfer who wrote the first CSR report in golf, helping to drive social and environmental impact in the sport. I've been excited to speak with Aubrey for a number of reasons she's thought long and hard about the same ideas and questions that I'm currently working on. How can athletes learn about the issues they care about and use their platforms and sport to scale social and environmental impact? And how can athletes gain experience, useful skill sets, and build their professional network to eventually transition out of sport and into a purpose-driven career that aligns with their values? If you have any feedback or suggestions, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify. I'm always looking to improve. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider sharing it with a friend. Aubrey McCormick, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jeremy. So when we first connected last year, I was really excited to learn from your experience because you did for golf what I'm working to do in beach volleyball. You produced the first corporate social responsibility report in the history of golf for the Olympic Golf Club. You were invited to speak at the White House Sports and Climate Change Roundtable under the Obama administration. So I definitely have a ways to go, but can you share a little bit about your background and how you got started? Yeah, absolutely. I was in the golf industry for, I would say, about 12 years, and half of that was playing professionally. And during my time, I paid attention to what the industry was doing around the environment and social diversity. I realized in every room I was in, I was one of the only females. And I just noticed how there was a lot of opportunity for growth. So I decided to stop playing professionally, ended up on a TV show on the Golf Channel called The Big Break. And after filming that show, I realized I didn't want to continue playing. I wanted to shift and start a company that actually built sustainability programs to support the golf industry. So I really leveraged my network and platform that I had developed within the golf world to set the stage for sustainability work. Very cool. What were the big questions you were focused on from the beginning? What are some of the main impacts in golf? Yeah, I would say the ideas and questions I focused on were how to create a market for the solution that was needed. Since golf is a conservative industry, there were many barriers to enter. So I looked at driving more ethical business practices and the way I was able to transition out of golf. Well, I get this question a lot. How do I go from being a professional athlete to a career of purpose? And you you may have to start a little bit at the bottom. You know, when I left golf, I decided to create a mastermind group in align with the top scientists, golf operations and greenskeepers. And I started working at a environmental nonprofit called Green America. Mm-hmm. And at Green America, I started working with businesses on their ethical business practices. Literally, I went to the bottom of the totem pole in the organization and I worked my way up. And the goal was really to understand the crucial issues that were facing our planet and to help shape my approach um, of the solution that I was trying to create. And you mentioned that golf's traditionally pretty conservative. How did you make the business case for sustainability in golf and get buy-in from courses, athletes, the PGA and LPGA? How did you position the argument to shift towards more sustainable practices? Yeah, so real talk here, I used my psychology background and essentially educated some of the top leaders in the golf industry on what sustainability was and how it could support their legacy from a personal perspective. I realized really quick that me coming in and telling general managers of these major golf courses or people within large organizations like the USGA or the PGA of America, who already believed that they were doing what was needed, uh, was going to be me essentially rolling a giant boulder uphill. So after doing that for a couple of years, I realized that I needed to actually align with these leaders 
and help them understand why this was important from their perspective. And what I realized was that this conservative industry cared an awful lot about um, how the external world viewed them and cared a lot about corporate partnerships and a lot about board members and different stakeholders, especially when you're looking at private country clubs. And so I was able to really get in the ear of some of the top general managers of large private clubs and help them understand the value of sustainability. And then what ended up happening was the information that I essentially was feeding them became their belief system and they became champions for the project. So it was more about being almost like this silent educator versus making it all about myself and being a consultant. I found a lot of my work was done behind the scenes at first. Mm -hmm. So you're the guide, you're presenting them with an opportunity. And I like what you said too, is you didn't come in and point out all the things you're doing wrong, but you positioned it as an opportunity for them to connect with their shared values. They want to have a legacy other than just providing great sporting experience. And also the another piece that you mentioned that I think often gets overlooked when you start to make the business case, a lot of people just see it as an expense and extra work with limited resources and time. But it's a huge opportunity to bring in other corporate sponsors that need to act on social and environmental impact. So if you can position it like that, it seems that you're giving an opportunity to the sports entity, whether it's golf or other sports, and also bring in more revenue. Absolutely. It's very apparent that the bottom line is of utmost importance, which makes sense in business. And I realized that that's okay, because if we position sustainability on the environmental and social side in the right way, it will make organizations money. It will help with staff retention. It will help with happiness of employees and experiences of the customer. And it will attract the generation that has us as their core value system. So I think it's just all about being flexible and understanding who you're working with and how to really align with what you said their shared values. Yeah. What was the timeline like as I'm working to scale social environmental solutions in beach volleyball, I realized that <laughs> anytime you're working with a large organization, it really takes time. And like you said, you have to be very flexible. So how did you get that buy-in? And was there an aha moment when leadership started to buy in in the golf world and make some progress? Once I felt educated enough to get out and start speaking about this, I started to walk into golf clubhouses around the United States. And I started to present the solution, which was let's write a CSR report. Let's create case studies that focus on how or what your golf course is currently doing and how you can achieve more sustainable impact, both for your club and within the community. And so I pushed pretty hard. If we're going to use the Olympic club as an example, I would say for about a year, I was reaching out to the general manager and every time I went to San Francisco, which was once a month, I would reach out and I'd be, you know, in his ear about why this was important. I would say it took me about a year 
to really get him on board to writing the CSR report. And then once we were able to get him on board, we met with all of the departments and were able to get all of the stakeholders engaged within the Olympic Club. And the report itself took about four months and the process overall took about six months. So after writing that report, I created a social media plan. I developed a spreadsheet that had almost a thousand contacts in the golf industry. And that report was sent out to as many people as possible. I worked a lot with the Green Sports Alliance to get this out as well. And the scalability of this report and how fast it got within the green sports movement, it started to encourage the USGA to get involved with the Green Sports Alliance. You just, you know, you started to see this ripple effect within the golf industry. The PGA of America ended up writing their first social impact report inspired by the CSR report. So you just saw a lot of rapid movement within one and a half years of this work. If you're talking about teams and leagues, that's going to be like moving the Titanic. But if you pull the right levers, you get the right people involved, I think it can move much faster. Yeah. And I like how you started with a well-known golf course and then worked to develop the best practices and basically in case I used to show what can be done. I think a lot of sports organizations have no idea where to begin and have no idea the timeline and the cost. So building those case studies that can be spread throughout the sport is really important. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab is a certified B Corp, makes high-performance skincare by combining pharmaceutical-grade science with nature's most potent ingredients. Finally, a skincare routine that uses non-toxic, sustainable ingredients and actually works. In high school, I got a nasty sunburn that literally burnt the pigment out of my skin and left me with a surprisingly symmetrical two-tone mustache that led to my nickname, the Lorax. I've been playing beach volleyball professionally for over a decade, using sunscreen every day and have spent more time in the sun than I care to think about. I can't tell you how damn happy I am to have a simple and effective daily routine to leave my skin feeling healthy and help offset all the exposure and damage that can come with playing beach volleyball. I use their three product regimen daily. The Clean Slate is a balancing cleanser I use in the shower. The base layer is a light moisturizer I use every morning. And The Good is an antioxidant-packed face serum I put on before bed every night. The regimen is backed by a clinical trial with real people and 100% of participants reported healthier-looking skin. So I'm not alone when I say this stuff actually works. I love Caldera Lab's mission and products, so I want to share a special discount of 20% off for our impact listeners. Go to calderalab.com slash casebeer or use the discount code casebeer at checkout. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B dot com slash casebeer. In a recent Green Biz article that you co-authored, the name is, Is the Golf Industry Doing Enough to Combat Climate Change? You outlined some of the progress in golf that stemmed from your efforts with the CS, initial CSR report. Now there's five golf organizations that have signed on to the UN Sports for Climate Action Framework. The Golf Environment Organization's volunteer standards for courses and tournaments have been adopted in 60 countries. And Steph Curry recently started a golf program at Howard University, which is a predominantly black university. What else do you think the golf community can do to combat climate change? And are there any broad actions or initiatives that you think the sports community in general should be prioritizing? 
Absolutely. In many parts of the golf industry, the word climate change is still steered away from. So I think the first step is talking about it, gaining an understanding of what climate change, climate action actually means. And, and then also how individuals within the industry can play a bigger role and understand that their, their job and their career is tied to greater purpose. I think a lot of times the industry can be a bit fragmented. We've mentioned that it's a conservative industry. And I think what's changing that is the diversity that is coming in with these younger generations. You have great organizations that have started like Black Girls Golf and the PGA of America has their diversity and inclusion program to provide jobs for more diverse groups of people. And I think these initiatives are going to really help the industry to become more sustainable overall. Some steps I think that could easily be taken is to hire chief sustainability officers within each of the largest golf organizations. You look at the PGA of America, they have chief people officer. And I actually know her well, and she is doing phenomenal work. Why don't they hire a chief sustainability officer? Same with the USGA. It's one thing to have a focus on water or have a focus on turf management, but why not hire someone that could tie all of that together and need this overall sustainability impact work? I really do believe having a chief sustainability officer at each of these organizations that can collaborate across the industry would be a great first step in tying all of these activities and develop a new standard for the industry around sustainability reporting, sustainability transparency, and an understanding of the overall impacts of golf. You mentioned collaboration and SDG or Sustainable Development Goal 17 is collaboration. And everyone agrees that we can't do this alone. Nobody can solve it by themselves. We need to reach across the aisle. We need different departments within organizations to collaborate. Looking back, how did you approach collaboration between the different golf, golf courses, PGA of America, different organizations, and athletes as well? Any lessons in hindsight that you would recommend other athletes or people within sport to try implementing themselves? Yeah, and I'm sure you've experienced this a little bit in your sport, but there's politics at play. So you could have a great idea, and sometimes that great idea doesn't align with what other people in the industry in these larger associations or governing bodies of the sport either are educated enough to understand or it doesn't make sense to bring that great idea in at the time. You could be way ahead of the curve and they're not ready for it. I experienced that a little bit. The CSR report came out and it was sort of like, uh-oh, what does CSR even need? There were a lot of people in the industry that didn't even know those terms. So there's barriers in that sense. But I think in regards to partnering and collaboration, it's very important to bring in the governing bodies of a sport. The reason for that is because it allows for more scalability. If you create a fantastic case study you want to be able to scale that to as many people as possible. So finding how your case study or your report or your project 
can benefit both your efforts and your client or your customer, but also the partners involved. I think that's very crucial to scaling and getting things done quickly. The process might take a little bit longer because you have more cooks in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. but I think overall it helps get the message out once you've completed the project. And there's a lot of barriers to athletes getting involved and speaking out. It took me, I've been wanting to do this basically since I graduated from college and it took me too many years to research, start to understand the issues and get comfortable speaking out on it. And there's also a fear of professional athletes, especially being called hypocrites because we have to travel for sport, but it's part of our job. It's how we put food on the table. And there's individual actions we can do to reduce and offset those negative impacts. You mentioned you started from the bottom up. Curious what lessons you've learned through your experience that you'd like to share with athletes trying to take that first step in terms of understanding the issues, getting comfortable talking about it, and then actually working towards systemic change in the sport? So I would say the first thing is be true to yourself. Do not let anyone in an industry bully you or make you feel like your voice doesn't matter. That will happen and people will say, oh, you should just play your sport. Or in a lot of times, these types of comments or this vibe that people will give you, they do that because they are fearful of what you are coming in to change. No one really loves change. You'll hear a lot of times, we've always done it this way. So, you know, as an athlete, remember, you're an athlete. You know how to perform. You know how to succeed. You know how to fail fast. These are all qualities that they they teach in business. And so... Figuring out a way to stay true to yourself and use those qualities as your superpower, along with educating yourself on the topic. You become bulletproof when you speak facts that cannot be argued. Now, if you're going in and just speaking off emotion with not a factual foundation, I think that's where athletes can get themselves in trouble. It's great to have passion But if you back it up with facts, now you've got power in your hand. And I think not getting intimidated and not giving up because we have to stay focused on the bigger picture at hand, which is to fight climate change and to inspire others to lead by example. And so sometimes you're going to rub people the wrong way and that's okay. You have to be able to be you and be different because that's a good thing. Definitely. And I think also one thing that I've started to realize is you're not going to be an expert on every topic. Maybe after you're done playing, you can go back to school and study sustainability, get an MBA. But choose, like you said, be true to yourself. Choose one area that you're really interested in and passionate about and go deep in that area. You don't have to understand regenerative agriculture, carbon offsets. Sustainability is a massive subject. So focusing on one topic can be really helpful. So now after you decide to stop playing professionally, How was that transition for you? It seems like you did a lot of work to build relationships within the golf and sustainability community. And now you're working at FSC and also Black Sheep Design. Can you share a little bit about that transition and what you're up to now? Sure. FSC really, you know, after I played pro golf and left the industry, I consulted, had my own company for a few years. 
And I decided I wanted to be a part of an organization that was doing global work. I had the experience now on a local level and dabbled in policy and, and seeing how an initiative could take off pretty quick, but I wanted to get into an organization and see, okay, how do we work with stakeholders on a global level? FSC, I'm the regional manager of the West. So I focus on managing our corporate accounts. Uh, a lot of major brands, you probably know Patagonia, REI, Amazon, Microsoft. I work with a lot of these brands on anything that's related to FSC. I also help with growing supply chains in construction. So helping builders and project teams gain access to FSC certified building products. I also am the FSC US tribal liaison and I have created, along with our chief marketing officer, the FSC ambassador program. Along with this work, I actually became a designer and builder myself, and that's where Black Sheep Design was created, where we design, build, stage, sell, and manage the construction of homes all across the U.S. and a lot include FSC certified materials. We demo the house to take it down to the studs, but we make sure to build it sustainably, including solar, EV, regenerative gardens. So we make sure to stay true to our roots on that too. Some fun projects that you're working on. And full disclosure, we met because of the FSC ambassador program. Can you share a little bit about that? And I guess the opportunity that you've seen in your own experience for athletes to promote sustainable practices, sustainable brands, sustainable products, and where you hope the FSC ambassador program will go? Yeah. So I love the FSC ambassador program because given the fact that I myself was a pro athlete and before sustainability was cool and really talked about, I remember reaching out to organizations like Trees for the Future and reaching out to them and saying, I would love to represent an organization out on the golf course. And at the time, this is before Instagram or social media. So you had to really reach out and, and in a sense, sell yourself and why you aligned. And so I really believe in the FSC ambassador program because people like you working with you and developing cause marketing campaigns, developing a platform for athletes, for young professionals and entrepreneurs, for indigenous peoples, really allowing people to speak about FSC in their individual voice and share their unique perspective, I think is so important because FSC might mean something different to one person than it does the other. And so I love the program and it's examples like this podcast, being able to have someone like you be an ambassador for FSC. I believe it's powerful and long-term, I wanna make sure that FSC brings just as much value to our ambassadors that they bring to us. I love how you say that and your perspective from the athlete. And I've definitely felt that way and excited about some of the projects that we're working on moving into next year. So I think everyone understands the need for sustainable forestry. Obviously, paper products are 
a necessity in building products. And if we can grow them responsibly in a sustainable way with the transparent supply chain, that's going to have a massive impact. So what is the role that FSC is filling in responsible forestry and the certification? Yeah, so FSC is a forest management certification and also a chain of custody certification. So it's two processes. But essentially what this means is that the product you're purchasing, if it's FSC certified, that it is literally coming from an FSC managed forest. So from the forest level to the entire supply chain, in order for a product to be FSC certified, it has to be certified from the forest through the sawmill to the manufacturer, to the distributor, to the retailer into the customer's hand. And so understanding that value is very important because if any part of that chain of custody is broken, it cannot be FSC certified. So while FSC is important to the consumer, it's important to protecting our forests because without transparency, forests can be illegally logged. Uh, a lot of negative impacts will happen on a forest. And so FNC really does a great job protecting that from happening. What does the average consumer need to know about FSC? What impact does shopping FSC have? What are some of the co-benefits and who are they supporting when they purchase FSC products? A lot of people probably have seen the tree logo on products. You'll see an FSC label on many products that you buy. It ranges from paying tags on your clothing, the clothing itself, furniture, makeup. There's a lot of products that FSC is involved in. And why it, it's important is because we must scale our sustainable purchasing habits. You know that when you're buying a product that has FSC certified materials in it, that you are part of the solution you know where that, that product is being sourced. You know the supply chain is transparent. And if that product is, is being sourced from a sustainable forest that is FSC certified, it really helps to understand the value of FSC. And, you know, just one cool fact, recently a study that was done by Ecotrust states that in Oregon and Washington, that an FSC certified forest actually stored 30% more carbon than just a standard leveled managed forest that abides by the legal requirements. So the carbon benefits are another thing, but I think overall consumers should know that you're part of the solution when you choose FSC. What is OneSimpleAction.org? So One Simple Action was launched this year, and it's really a one-stop shop for all your FSC certified products. It's a growing platform. There's, I think, close to 2,000 products right now that have FSC certified materials in them. So launching something like this really helps the consumer to locate where products that have FSC materials are in the market. What is FSC focused on over the next few years? This is an interesting question. I would say scalability. We have this five-year strategic plan that is available online. And many of the initiatives are to grow certified land, increase our social impact, and scale our work. Over the next five years, I know that growing our land base 
of FSC certified forest is of the utmost importance. Beautiful. Are you ready for the quick hitters? And these are yeah. <laughs> intended to be quick, but I'm still working on them. So take as long as you want. And if any of them don't land, no worries. Okay. What is your go-to spot to get into nature? Forest. <laughs> Where do you get your information? Are there any magazines, websites, or authors you read regularly? Any podcasts or newsletters you subscribe to? My peers. I know it sounds crazy, but my peers and the people that I work with or went to grad school with are brilliant minds like yourself, Jeremy. I tend to just follow what everybody is working on in all different industry. And that's enough to keep me pretty up to date. I also read a lot of Green Biz and The Guardian. Yeah, I found that I've obviously trying to get a grasp on all the different issues around sport and sustainability and following the people doing strong work on LinkedIn, like swap that for regular social media. And there's so many good articles and best practices and it gives you a good grasp of all the current trends. I agree. Is there a book you'd recommend to someone just starting to get curious about social and environmental impact? Full Planet, Empty Plate by Lester Brown. Nice. I haven't read that one. I'll have to add it to the list. What are you most curious about right now? Are there any questions you keep coming back to? Yes. How to create a closed loop building product that is scalable and does not add waste to the landfill. I like it. The best athletes can repeat the basic skills over and over consistently, and true experts can explain complex ideas without jargon to kids. What skills or fundamentals have you found most important to really understand the relevant issues in order to be effective in your work? You know, I'm going to go back to this, but staying true to myself and helping others along the way, not keeping my work so close to my chest that I lose sight of the importance of helping other people do the work. I think our work as sustainability leaders is to scale impact and educate those who don't understand fully. So really opening up myself to educating others and anything they want to know or how to do something. I've just let go of any, you know, I've just let go of any sort of ownership and I open it up for anyone to understand. Is there something you wish you knew sooner in your career? Or if you had to start over in your career, what would you do differently? No. <laughs> no, I mean, not really, because you don't know what you don't know. Sure. So I would say just just educate yourself and don't, you know, we're taught to become experts. That's sort of the old school way of doing things. And I don't believe in becoming an expert in one thing. I believe in becoming a renaissance soul where you understand the system at play. Yes. And yeah, in order to do that, you kind of got to understand a little bit or a lot about a lot. Yeah. That's one thing that has been frustrating in my path and journey to try and make an impact in sport. It's been very meandering, but there's no shortcuts. That's for sure. Not at all. Yeah. You've got to work hard and you got to play hard. You know, it's kind of like taking what we know as athlete to the business world and just using your own unique personal flair to get things done because we're all different. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. What is a strong first step or action someone can take to have a positive social or environmental impact in their life or community? I would say start with one thing and do it really well and then build upon that one thing and be ready to pivot. You know, it could be anything. Like you said, sustainability is so broad. It could be 
you want to just create a regenerative food garden in your front yard, start with that because you'd be surprised. I knew somebody who started a regenerative food garden in his front yard, and now he created an entire nonprofit where he rides his bike through inner city communities and plants gardens in, in the front of people's houses oh. to help them sustain food. So it, it just starts with literally, it seems silly, but one action, just start with an action and, and follow suit. I think that's a perfect place to uh, wrap up. Aubrey, thank you so much for taking the time. Really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.